0: What was the other one, David? A sacrifice. Check, check. A sacrifice. a sacrifice. Yes, absolutely. Totally making a sacrifice, maybe for someone else. Or your. I think there's a deep sense of giving up something. Yeah, that's really giving up. Right? Like giving over. That's maybe a way to think about it. You know, and it can even be, it can be an object in our life. It can be a child. It can be a, you know, it can be a, we give over something for Lent. But, you know, often in the Bible, it's um, a giving over of something to the Lord. You read about someone devoting something to God, devoting their life to God. You know, if I wanted to become a great uh, violinist, I know Hunter's trying to do that. Is he in here? No, he he's not in here anymore. Um, Hunter's trying to do that. He's trying to become a great violinist. But if you want to devote yourself to being a great violinist, you're going to have to spend an incredible amount of time with your violin. It's going to have to be like your baby. I mean, you might even sleep with your violin if, it's, if you want to become one of the greats. And you're going to practice every single day. And you're going to love that thing because you want to be great at a violin. Or let's just, I'm just giving some other examples. If you want to devote yourself um, to another person. Let's say you decide that you like someone, heaven forbid, and you're going to devote yourself to them, you're going to spend an enormous amount of time with them. I'm devoted to him. I'm devoted to her. Or maybe it's perhaps it's sports. It's soccer. You're going to be devoted to soccer. Well, guess what? You're going to have to practice every day and you're going to have to travel Because that's the thing you do, I think, in soccer. We're not doing that yet, thank the Lord. But you have to spend every weekend on the road living in random dirty hotels because you're devoted to soccer, right? What we see this morning, though, is a type of devotion to fellowship with other people. And it's a devotion to the teaching of the disciples. And it was radical for the day. You might think, it doesn't... Okay, devoting to other people, that doesn't seem that radical. But y'all, it was as radical then as it is today that a group of people would give themselves over to one another. Because it requires an incredible amount of sacrifice. It requires an Im- incredible amount of commitment. And most people, then and now, don't want to like commit themselves to other people. Because <laughs> it's hard. It's hard, and there has to be something behind it. There has to be an engine to it, which we're going to get at later. You know, historically, most orphanages, most hospitals, most uh, outposts for the poor, the Salvation Army, for example, come from Christian roots. You can look it up. Don't take my word for it. You'll find this in the history books. Because when the gospel changes people, and this has been seen throughout history, there's a devotion And that's what the early church was doing. There are accounts of the early church going out in the mud and the blood of the streets of Jerusalem and the surrounding communities and being with lepers, being with the poor, and themselves getting sick as they were caring for the lepers and for the poor. This incredible devotion to loving other people, to helping other people, was a mark of the early church, and everyone took notice. The leaders all took notice. I mean, it's part of why the leaders wanted to squash Christianity. Because they were messing with the class system. Because they were together. And they had things in common. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to talk about togetherness in just a minute. Let me just mention one other thing on this point about um, devotion. The reason devotion happens so naturally after the gospel begins to work in people's lives is because the world is corrupt. If you notice Peter in this passage, in verse 40, he says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. When, he talks, when the Bible talks about the world being corrupt, it means there is this division happening. There's this, as scientists talk about, things are spreading apart. Things are cooling down. You know this. You experience this. Things are falling apart. If you leave out a turkey on your counter, within hours it's gone cold, Right? And then after it's gotten really cold and you put it out for a couple more days, it begins to smell really bad. And you want to put it away or outside because it stinks. And then if you leave it there even longer, it becomes a husk of its former self and begins to disintegrate and eaten up and fall apart and the bones are lying on the bottom of the pan. That is the corruption of life, right? Falling apart. Dividing. That's what people do. Read your news what do people do? They fight. They fall apart. I mean, look at our own country and the divisions we see, even politically in our own country. That is the natural state of things. And the gospel, as you see here in Acts chapter 2, and the gospel in people's lives even today, is drawing together. Drawing together. Quick application before we move on to point two about togetherness. Quick application about devotion. No, no, sorry, before I get to the application, I want to mention how this is different than communism. Because people have said that about this passage. They've said, they had every, it says in the passage, they have everything in common, right? Which is similar to the concepts that come out of communism. Just all shared, no private property, right? No privacy, just sharing things. But there's a radically different starting point for both of those. If you read about communism, if you read about Marxism and, and in kind of his fo- political theories, it's all about forcefulness, It's all about taking over. It's about those that don't have power wresting power out of the hands of those who are in positions of power. It's all about force. It's all about upheaval, about revolution. And it's true that there was a revolutionary uh, sort of feeling to what was happening in the early church, but it was all about love. It was never about force. In fact, the reality is, things like sharing generosity, giving, helping, you can't really force them. You just can't. They have to be an overflow out of the heart. And that's why this community was so distinctly different here in Acts chapter 2. It was an overflow of a changed heart. It was real love for each other and for one another. And naturally, very naturally, they began to give and to share and to be together with one another, spending time in each other's homes. It was the most natural thing in the world. Whereas when you have something like communism, a political ideology, it is forcefulness that tries to push people without any heart change into doing that very thing. And as we know from history has shown us, it crumbles and falls apart very quickly. And it's incredibly oppressive. So there's one little uh, side point I wanted to make real quick. But I want to I um, do an application for us even today about this community. This Princeton, uh, the, a guy who's, who teaches at Princeton named Robert Wuthnow, he's found in his studies that small groups mainly provide occasions for individuals, and this is in the church, mainly provide occasions for individuals to focus on themselves in the presence of others. The social contract binding members together in in modern-day America asserts only the weakest of obligations. Come if you have time, talk if you feel like it, respect everyone's opinion, never criticize, leave quietly if you become dissatisfied. There's another book by a couple of uh, authors today. It's two Boston psychiatrists. It's called Overcoming Loneliness in Everyday Life. They suggest that groups fail to replicate the sense of belonging we have lost because attending weekly meetings, dropping in and out as one pleases, shopping around for a more satisfactory or appealing group, all these factors work against the growth of true community. And Christians today often expect to find community by attending church services and coming to a small group, but as the quote above points out, it's possible to do both of those things without actually adding the elements that create real community. And we're going to talk about those elements of real community today. But the bottom line is this. It takes, it will take for us, for us modern Americans here in 2018 in Charlottesville, deep reflection and costly commitment. Deep reflection and costly commitment to live in real community. But it's shalom. Shalom. There's the promise from Scripture, and we see it here in Acts chapter 2. There's the promise of true delight, of true joy, of true love. Something that each of our hearts longs for, to be in that kind of a community. And that's what Acts 2 is pointing us towards. Let's talk about that community. Let's talk about the togetherness of that community. So we just talked about devotion. And you might be feeling a little guilty. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're getting to the engine of togetherness. We're getting to the engine of real community. But let's talk about the mark of real community, togetherness. It says they were together. They were together all the time. They were in each other's homes. They were meeting together in the courts uh, around the temple in Jerusalem. They were just, they couldn't get enough of each other. That's what this community was like in Acts chapter 2. And the reason for this is because of God's work in the heart. If you go up just one chapter uh, before in Acts chapter 1, you find that there's this incredible event called Pentecost. And during Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends on all the people. Uh, it, it, It was pictured as a flame over the heads of each of the people. And they begin to speak in all different tongues. And it says in the Bible that it wasn't just gibberish that they were speaking. They actually began to speak in different languages. They were instantly, by the power of God's Spirit, breaking down the barriers of language. And the people were freaked out by it. They were like, whoa, I, th- that person who didn't know that doesn't know that language is praising God in my native tongue. This is crazy. Here's what's cool about this, and here's what we, I think the Bible points to, that we should notice about this, that these were the exact same people who were meeting together in one another's homes. Days before, they had different customs, probably different skin colors, and they had the, most, the biggest barrier of all, The barrier of communication, they spoke different languages. And God was doing a work and they were meeting together and they couldn't get enough of each other. They couldn't get enough of each other. And they couldn't have been people who were more different than one another. It is incredible what the gospel does in drawing together a community. It's not, everyone's not going to think alike. Everyone's not going to look alike. It's this beautiful thing that God continues to draw people together that have totally different opinions about life, totally different customs about how they do life. So real quick, so that's that's what it, it was. This awesome picture of God drawing people together from all different uh, customs and cultures, and then what did they do together? Well, let's just briefly touch on that before we conclude with our final point about the engine of real community. What they did was they soaked up the teaching of the disciples, they showered love on one another, and they savored Jesus together. That's what it's, that's what it tells us in the scripture. They soaked up the teaching of the apostles essentially what they were doing is they were learning all about God and about themselves and the doctrine of the Bible. That's why we do it still to this day. It's not just random. We don't just have Bible studies because we think, oh, isn't a Bible study just a cool thing to do? Isn't that just like normal for a church to do? Well, there's a reason that it's normal for a church to do that. We still need to sit under the teaching of the apostles from Scripture and of those that uh, other ministers and elders that are going to bring the Word of God into our hearts to, ch- to help change us. Because that's what the word of God does when it gets into a heart. It begins to transform a life to be more like Jesus and to love more like we see here in Acts chapter 2. So they, the first thing was they soaked up the teaching of the apostles when they were together and then they showered love on one another. The, the, the defining characteristic of most people's lives is selfishness. I know it's hard to admit that, y'all. And I'm not saying it's true for you, but I kind of am. <laughs> The defining characteristic of our lives is selfishness. What have you done for me lately? Right? You feel that from other people. You've probably done it to other people. And this was, in this brief period, but it's continued throughout history because God is the one who's at work, they were showering the opposite on one another. They were showering love on one another. Instead of saying, what have you done for me lately? They were saying, how can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I pray for you? What do you need I just want to give it to you. What do you need? Let me provide. Let me share. It was an incredible picture of what Jesus talked about even when he was on this earth that we studied even in Matthew as we walked through the book of Matthew. The last thing they did together was they said... Oh, I had this picture. Notice I said showering love. I got that idea from I was taking a shower. (laughs) And... (laughs) And I was like, I was cold, I was dirty, and I was just feeling gross. You ever had that, where you've gone too many days without a shower? And I see all the college kids nodding the most here. <laughs> and, and, you st- and, and the water is hot and steaming. you can see it. And you step in for the first time, and it kind of hits the back of your head and runs down your neck, and you get like goosebumps, and it feels so good. That's what it's like when somebody really loves you and accepts you for who you are, y'all. That's the feeling. It's not just, it's, it, it, it's this showering sense of, oh, refreshing. This person isn't telling me what I'm doing wrong. They're not criticizing me for all the problems I have. I know I have these problems. They're loving me. They're showering me with, you're a delight. You're a joy. I, I thank the Lord you're in my life. What, a, what an incredible experience of refreshment that is for all of us. Lastly, they, the thing they did together was they savored Jesus. And they did that through liturgy. It says they broke bread together, which essentially means they did this together. They did communion together a lot. Why? Why in the world would they do communion together all the time, like every day? Because basically, this meal, as we dive into it later in, uh, in our service today, is like a diamond. This is like a diamond. What I mean by that is there are so many facets you will never see them all. Jesus coming to this earth, giving up his glory, dying on a cross for us, for our sins, and being resurrected. It is a, you, you will never plumb the depths all of your life. You can't do it. You could have this meal multiple times a day and you'll never plumb the depths of the beauty of Jesus Christ and what he's done that's what they did together. They savored Jesus. Savor means when you have a piece of food in your mouth and you kind of roll it around because it's so good. You don't want to swallow it yet. You just want to roll it around. That's what we do with communion. It's what we do when we look at Jesus. You just savor him. He's so good. Just just let it soak in a little bit. Get all the flavors. Because it is going to change your life. It changed the life of these people here in Acts chapter 2. And it still is life-changing for all of us, even here today. Okay, final point. The engine. The reason the engine of real community is so important is because it would be easy for me and for each of y'all in here today to be like, whew, I probably don't, I'm not in community enough. I don't, I don't give enough. I don't have enough. It's easy to just kind of go into a guilt trip. And that is not the intention of either Acts chapter 2 or this sermon by any means. But it's easy to just be like, you know, this is unrealistic. <laughs> right? I mean, you may have even had that thought already today in the sermon. You know, this is neat. Glad that you're preaching on this from Acts chapter 2. But let's be honest, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for other people all that much. i got a lot i got to do. I'm a busy dude. I'm a busy gal. Right? You got, I mean, you're having those thoughts. And, and there's probably a little guilt going on there, too. Like, you know, i I got work, Nathan, uh, or God, Bible. I've got, you know, I've got soccer. I've got things I want to do. I've got surfing the Internet I need to do. I've got to check Instagram. I'm not so sure I'm going to have time for other people. That's where you can end up. If you're, care- if you're not careful, you can end up with that from this passage. But thankfully, Acts chapter 2 provides us with the beautiful engine that drives all this. If without the engine, it is going to be a disaster. You're just going to live in guilt all the time. But there's an engine, and it says it's praising God. What did they do all the time? Praise God. Why is it so important that they praised God together and that other people praise God together? Here's why. It's the dynamite for the whole explosion of this church that started in Acts chapter 2. Beautiful objects demand praise. Beautiful objects demand praise. Andrew was playing baseball on that kind of far field over there, the second one over. The opposing team was at bat. And one of the, or sorry, we were at bat. Andrew's team was at bat. And the kid hits this great uh, smack of the ball. It was It was awesome. And we were getting excited. The ball's in the air. It's kind of got a big arc. It's coming down just outside of the infield. And the right fielder, you can see him. Little, these are seven and eight-year-olds. He's running as fast as he possibly can. I mean, sprinting. And at the last second, he dives headfirst, reaches his glove out, slides on the ground, and catches the ball. And one of the most miraculous catches I've ever seen in my entire life. We were stunned at first, but then their stance is obviously going nuts. After our stunning moment ends in our stance on our side, the opposing team, we all stand up and cheer. We're like, woo-hoo-hoo! Even though it was an out for our team, we should have been upset. But y'all, when you see a thing of beauty, you have to say yes. You have to. It was an out for our team. It was terrible. The kid should have had a hit. But when you see a catch from a seven-year-old running full sprint and he dives on the ground, you erupt. It's just natural. You erupt in praise. That's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, when we erupt in praise, when we say, yes! We're not just expressing our joy. We're completing it when we do it with other people. Your joy is not complete until you've said yes with other people. That's why we do this. That's why we do church. This is what we do. It's why we're here. We are here to be together and go, yes! Because it's, it's fine to do it on your own. I'm not saying that's bad. Like, do it on your own. Read scripture. Pray on your own. Have to, what, they, what we call devotions. Devote yourself to the Lord individually. But it's never, ever complete. Until you're with other people and you're yesing together. Praise the Lord. Praise Him in His majesty. He is incredible. He's awesome. He's changed my life. Let's do it together. That's the engine. It's the engine that makes you want to be with other people, with other Christians, is that driving force of praising God. It's what I'm trying to do from the pulpit. That's all I'm doing. I got to get it out. You know, it's in there and you just got to praise. It's what, our, it's what our musicians are doing. It's what y'all are doing when you're singing. You just got to get it out. Ugh. God is so amazing. He's done so many amazing things in my life. He is so wonderful and he's so gracious and he's so powerful and he's so perfect. Can we just say it together? That's the engine for real community. I mean, the reality is, y'all, the young Democrats gather here. The young Republicans have meetings. There are rallies downtown for new parking spaces and for the changing of the parking spaces. There, there are meetings where people are getting together to give money to like good causes. Y'all, that's awesome. That's awesome. But the reality is the church is not here to be all warm and fuzzy and just share, everyone have to share the same ideology. It's not the point. Now we may have similar views on certain things, but you know what? I guarantee we also have very different views on certain things. We're gonna disagree with one another on many points. But we all do agree that the point of this is to praise, is to praise the Lord together. And it is a wonderful and a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. It's what we're made to do. It's what we're created to do. Finally, the other part of the engine Uh, is first of all praising God, but also it's the fact that we remember that Christ is the one who went before us and did it first. Christ, why do we forgive one another in real community? Because Christ first forgave us. Why do we love our enemies? Because Christ came down and loved his enemies with a dying love. Why do we care for the poor and for those in jail? Because Christ cared for me And my poor spirit. Why do we look past the outside of a person in real community and love them for who they are? Because Christ did that exact same thing with us. And lastly, and most importantly, why do we devote ourselves to one another? Why? Because Jesus, in the most incredible way, the most powerful way, devoted himself to us. His devotion meant giving up all of his glory to come and be a little baby on this earth. He gave up a life of, of fun and joy so that he could sacrifice himself, so that he could live perfectly in obedience to God. And then he goes to the cross and he dies for us. It is the supreme example of devotion, and it is the fire in that engine that sparks it up to where we can get together with one another and really devote ourselves to each other. It's only because of Christ. Will you devote yourself to others? Will you devote yourself to Christian community? This church, maybe, hopefully, Or another place. There are plenty of Christian communities around. But I think that's what Acts 2 is calling us to. Will you go all the way? Conflict awaits. That's what happens when you get close with other people. But also shalom. Also settledness. Also people knowing you and loving you despite knowing you. (laughs) It's such a beautiful thing, y'all. It's such a beautiful thing. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this community here. I thank you just that we can get together and praise you. What a glorious thing it is, Lord. I thank you so much that you've allowed me to get into the lives of the folks here and allowed the folks here to get into each other's lives. Lord, I pray that that would just go deeper as we spend time together, as we praise your name together. Lord, I pray that that would always be the focus of our meeting together and of our Gathering together. Thank you, Lord, for this meal that you've provided for us this morning that reminds us more than anything else of our communion with Jesus and our communion with each other. This meal is a picture of communion with one another. Draw us together by the power of your Holy Spirit and by the engine of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. As I just mentioned, I think the kids are... Did somebody grab... Did somebody I did. go get... Yeah, dude. dude. Fist bump across the room. Thanks, buddy. Um, Jesus was in community when he first initiated this meal, when he first uh, made this a sacrament for the church. He was gathered in the upper room of uh, the it was a Passover going on. And he was gathered with his closest friends. And he's like, okay, I want y'all, I want this to be celebrated throughout all of history. When Christians, when, when disciples, when people that who are praising God get together, I want this to be a meal that they share with one another. Because it's going to be a reminder that I am the supreme devotion. I'm the one who is devoted to each of you. Uh, and so that's what we're going to celebrate this morning. And Jesus, when he was with his friends, when he was with his disciples, he broke the bread, just like I'm breaking here this morning. He said, I want you to take this and I want you to eat this in remembrance of me and what I've done. And we ask as a church, uh, and this has been happened throughout history because Paul directed us to in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that if you have not found yourself to be in communion with Jesus, if, if you haven't quite come to the point where you've trusted him for your salvation, we'd ask that you allow the elements to pass by and to pray and to ask God to bring you close to him even this morning. So if I could, David, if you could hand that one out that side.